As you all will know from last week, uh, we are in the midst of a series uh, on Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. And uh, we pick up again today in Colossians 1, uh, beginning with verse 15. Uh, And as you turn there, let me encourage you, if you haven't already been reading along with us, uh, start reading along with us. Colossians is short, and as with our previous series on Galatians, you can take the whole letter, read it through in the span of a week or even a day, read it through several times over the next month that we will be staying with Paul uh, and the church in Colossae. And, uh, and as you do that, you will discover new things each week. God will speak to you in a new way, I believe, as we, as we read this together uh, in Mass and in short portions as well, as we will now, as we turn to Colossians 1. Hear the word of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Uh, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. Now I am rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now come to be revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may be present, uh, we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy he powerfully inspires within me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Perhaps you have noticed from time to time in movies that there come particular times When to say what needs to be said, to express what needs to be expressed, words alone will not suffice. You need a little something extra. And so all of a sudden, the characters break out into song. If you love Ferris Bueller's Day Out, this is Ferris singing Twist and Shout. Uh, If you love Top Gun, it's Goose and Maverick singing You've Lost That Loving Feeling. Uh, maybe you, you like romantic comedies. Uh, it's in my best friend's wedding when they sing, I say a little prayer for you around the dinner table. Maybe your taste in movies is older. It's in, uh, this is a, it, it's a wonderful life at the end when they start singing uh, Old Lang Syne. 
If you're like me and you have little girls, it's every Disney movie, every 10 minutes. Elsa on the mountain singing, let it go. Uh, Well, in the passage that we just read, it may or may not be obvious in, in the way that your Bibles are laid out, but Paul has just broken out into song. Verses 15 through 20 are a poem, a hymn, and perhaps even a song. Paul does this in a few other places. For example, in Philippians, in the great Christ hymn, where he talks about how uh, Jesus, even though being in very nature God, did not desire equality with God as something to be exploited. And he goes through this great song, this great poem. Well, here Paul breaks out into song. Um, And even if we don't know the music, We can hear, or at least it doesn't take much imagination, to hear the musical quality of what Paul is saying. It's as as if he has broken out into song and invited all of us, even the ones of us who can't sing very well, to come up and join the choir. And so since Paul has broken out into music, I thought that maybe we should try to think about what Paul is saying in musical terms. Now, I don't know much about music theory, but I'm, I'm going to confirm this with the choir, okay? I understand that in a piece of music, there are three parts. You have the melody and the harmony and the rhythm. Is that right? I'm, I'm getting some nodding. Please, everyone say that's right. It has to be right. It's too late for me to change my sermon at this point. There's a melody and a harmony and a rhythm, okay? And in this song... Uh, to think, think about it this way. There is a melody and a harmony and a rhythm. The melody that we hear, the tune that we hear, is the supremacy of Jesus. Just how glor- great and glorious Jesus is. But beneath that, beneath that tune, beneath that melody, there is a harmony. The harmony that God has in Christ has created all things and calls all things to himself. The fullness of God with Jesus. And then the way we hear that, the rhythm of this song is reconciliation. The way that God expresses his supremacy, expresses uh, the unity to which he has called us, is reconciliation. So let's listen for the melody and the harmony and the rhythm, rhythm, the supremacy of Jesus, unity in Jesus, and reconciliation through Jesus. Now when you listen to this hymn for the first time, the first thing you probably notice, the tune you hear, is this celebration of just how glorious Jesus is. And, And Paul has this almost breathless series of images. Uh, I love it when Paul gets like this, where he just almost can't keep up with himself. He gives us this series of images about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of creation. He's the creator of all things, visible and invisible. He's the head of the body. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. He has first place in everything. And you can hear from Paul, he's filled with awe. He's filled with the Spirit. And he just can't even contain all the glory of Jesus that he wants to put into this hymn. But let's slow down and kind of take it one at a time if we can. He's the image of the invisible God, Paul says. The image of the invisible God. Now in the ancient world, uh, kings and emperors, if they wanted to let a people know who was in charge, they would issue coinage. And on the coins there would be an image of the emperor. Nowadays, we tend to put our you know, past heroes on our money. Back in the day, it was the person who was in charge uh, right then. And that's because you may never see the emperor, you may never hear the emperor, but when you saw the coin, you knew that the emperor was in charge of that part of the world. 
And so when Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, or the icon of the invisible God, what he's saying is that you see these little images that you see here and there that say Caesar's in charge. Maybe it was a coin. Sometimes it would be in a statue or a monument that would be built. You may have seen these images of Caesar, Paul is saying, but the true image of the true ruler has been with us in Jesus. And Paul is saying that these other images of Caesar that you might have seen are subservient uh, and maybe even false images of what it looks like for the ruler to be present. Jesus is the real authority. This place may be marked by Caesar's coins, but it has been marked by God in the flesh in Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Just like you may have never seen Caesar, you've never seen God the Father But if you've encountered Jesus or encountered Jesus' people, then you have encountered the image of God. God's rule is here through the image of Jesus. And Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of creation. And that's another image of authority. Paul doesn't mean that Jesus is just the first thing created. Firstborn means something a little different. He's not, Jesus isn't created, he's born. The firstborn, even today in many cases, is the person who will often receive the inheritance. Um, The firstborn of a ruler is the one who is at least most likely to take the throne. To be the firstborn is an image of authority. And Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of creation. In other words, he is the one who has authority over creation. And in fact, Paul says that it is through the firstborn of God that all of creation was made, including the things that we can't even see. In the ancient world, there was this concept that there was a, a spiritual reality that corresponded to the physical things that we can see. Things like governments and armies uh, and religious institutions. And these were called things like thrones and dominions and rulers and powers. And Paul says that Jesus made even those things. And so the things that seem to govern our world, things like nations and governments and armies, in fact are governed by a spiritual reality that's higher than them. Sometimes that spiritual reality can go awry, just like the human institutions can. But ultimately, 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 it's Jesus who is the one who's in charge. It's Jesus to whom they are accountable, and Jesus who will bring them back into order, who will reconcile the things that have gone awry. Creation was made by Jesus himself, and so creation is accountable to Jesus. And that goes for this particular part of creation, the church. Paul goes on to say that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And here again, head has two meanings. It means, in one sense, the one who's in charge, but it also means the source. Jesus is the source of the church. We didn't say, ah, you know, we need to come up with a nice religious system to make sense of our world. No. We have been given this through Christ. We didn't just make it up. Jesus is the source of what we believe and what we claim. And then ultimately, Paul says that Jesus is the the beginning or the ruler. The word is, is archaic. It can mean either of those things. From the dead. The firstborn from the dead. Uh, And and to say that he is either the beginning or the ruler, it's kind of like saying somebody's number one. They can both be first and the one who is in charge. Jesus is the one who created everything, and Jesus is also the one who begins the new creation of everything. And we've seen this in 
resurrection. Jesus is the firstborn out of the dead. A sign of what God will do for all of us. He's supreme over creation and new creation. He's supreme over the things we can see and the things we can't. And for us, this is an important reminder in two ways. First, it tells us that we are not in charge, so quit trying to be. We love to be in charge with our nations and our governments and weapons and economies. But ultimately, even though these things may from sometimes be good things, it's Jesus who's the one who is in charge. And it's a fool's errand to try to wield power for ourselves outside of Jesus because ultimately Jesus is the one who is the creator and the new creator. It also tells us this. Perhaps the previous was a rejoinder to us. This is an encouragement. We are not in charge And so we have no need to fear. It's easy to be afraid in our world. We hear news from Turkey and France. We know of racial conflicts here in America. We know of turmoil in our own community. It's an election year, and that always brings fear. We fear for our church and the role of the church in America and even our denomination. But what Jesus says to us, He is the beginning. He is the firstborn. He is the ruler. He is the one who created it all. And so we can rest in him. He's the one who's in charge. And so we need not fear. That's the melody that Paul sings, the supremacy of Jesus. But with that, there comes a harmony. And that harmony is this, that it is Christ who holds all things together. It's Christ who creates unity. And this isn't the kind of like cheap unity where we all just pretend to get along, but we really don't like each other. Um, It's a unity that's based on the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus who made everything and will reconcile everything, who will bring everything back under his care. The unity that was won at the cross. Paul tells us that in him all things hold together. And he tells us that in him The fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, whether things in heaven or on uh, earth, by making peace through the blood of his cross. What does the cross achieve for us? Everything. The cross achieves everything. Not just our own individual salvation, though that is very much a part of it. But the salvation of everything. Everything in heaven and on earth that's reunited with God is achieved That way, because of the cross. It's through the cross that Jesus reconciles all things to himself. And so that too is a reminder to us. In the midst of our trying to hold everything together for our world, for our nation, for our community, trying to just hold everything together in our own lives, we're silly if we think that we can hold things together. It is Christ who holds all things together and who will hold all things together together again. And that is the harmony of this song. That Jesus brings all things back into relationship to him to create the harmony that we cannot create ourselves. And lastly, we have the rhythm of this song. And the rhythm of God, the rhythm that God calls us to is reconciliation. This is the rhythm by which God rules. When we hear proclaimed how great God is and how God made everything, that might make some people think that God is distant and doesn't care about us. But if we hear this song in the right rhythm, the rhythm of reconciliation, we realize that we have a God who has come to be with us as great as God is. We know that greatness because he has come to be present with us in Christ. And he has called us who are sinners, 
those of us who wanted nothing to do with him, to be his people again. And so we who have received reconciliation are then called to sing or to dance by this rhythm, the rhythm of reconciliation. We are both the ones who are reconciled and the ones who are reconcilers. The ones who bring or help bring other people back into connection to Christ. To be in step with God, to be in step with God's rhythm, it puts us out of step with the world. But it puts us into the midst of the song that Paul here sings and calls us to sing with God. And what does that look like? Paul tells us it can look like obedience, giving up our way of doing things and doing things God's way. It can look like, in Paul's case, suffering. He writes this from the midst of prison. But in the midst of that obedience, in the midst of that service, in the midst of that suffering, what we discover is a freedom like never before experienced. The kind of freedom that you get when you sing a song that just lets it all, lets it all free in your life. The kind of freedom that comes when we grow up into maturity in Christ, as Paul tells us. That is what Christ is calling us to in the song that he sings and calls us to sing. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what it is to sing this song. That's what it is to know Christ as the one who is supreme over us all, as the, as the one who draws all of us to himself, as the one who puts us back into right relationship with him by reconciling us through the cross to him. And so this week, go and be the people who know this song and who sing this song. Go out and find someone who needs to be forgiven in your life and forgive them. Go find people who are estranged and separated from one another and bring them back together. Be the one who has been reconciled and who helps reconcile others. When you go and you find places of disorder in your life, in this world, in our community, go and bring the one who sings the song of order, of harmony, who expresses the harmony of God, who has made all things and will bring all things back to himself. Go and find where the glory of Jesus isn't being sung in the world and sing that song there. That is what Christ calls us to. And so, brothers and sisters, let's join our voices together and sing Christ Beside Me, our hymn of commitment.